Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. How can anyone in this world have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ in being made wisdom? In other words, Christ has made unto us wisdom. How can anyone in this world have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ being made unto them their righteousness. How can anyone have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ being made for them their sanctification, their cleansing from sin? How can anyone in this world have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ being made unto them their redemption, as it says in Colossians 1.14, Colossians 1.14, in whom the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ can a person have the peace that comes from shalom, completeness. And when we say shalom, for us, we're meaning, may you have the completeness that comes from being in the Messiah, having received the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, from being complete in him, may you have that shalom, completeness. And when the Lord Jesus Christ used the word peace, shalom, he said shalom, because he wasn't speaking Greek at that time, he was speaking Aramaic Hebrew, shalom, and the root meaning of completeness, it explains so much to us. When we read a verse like John 14, 27, peace, shalom, completeness, I leave with you my peace, my shalom, my completeness, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. What is that shalom completeness the Lord Jesus Christ was referring to when he said, my shalom, I give unto you. It was the shalom of being complete in him. What does it look like to be complete in him? The hymn puts it best. Complete in thee, no work of mine may take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardon bought for me, and I am now complete in thee. Justified, oh, blessed thought. Sanctified, salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardon bought for me, and glorified, I too shall be. By contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ said that his shalom completeness was not the same as the world's. Well, what is the world's completeness? What's the world's fulfillment? What's the world's, you reach this, you got it all. The world's completeness is to be accepted and honored among men while being rejected and denied by God. The world's completeness is to have pleasures galore 
temporarily and then to suffer for eternity. The world's completeness is to gain the whole world and lose your soul. Someone asked me yesterday, you consider yourself a completed Jew? I said, yes. I said, as a matter of fact, a Jew in the Lord Jesus Christ is a completed Jew with shalom completeness. A Gentile in the Lord Jesus Christ is a completed Gentile with shalom completeness. And this explains the interesting meaning behind this word shalem in verse 18. It means being complete with safety and peace and good health. And because shalem has this meaning, it's not at all clear if shalem in verse 18 is referring to a name of a city that Jacob came to or the condition of Jacob when he came to the city of Shechem. So the King James makes it sound like Shalem was a city, but all other translations, including the New King James, take this word Shalem to express that Jacob came safe and sound to the city of Shechem. And that's how I see this as well. In this sentence is that in verse 18, the word Shalem is really referring to Jacob's condition, being safe and sound at peace when he comes to the city of Shechem. So he comes to the city of Shechem. He's complete in his peace and his, his health and safety. He's talking about how Jacob arrived when he came to the city of Shechem. He pitched his tent there before the city. And like Jacob, sometimes we really feel ourselves in this state of, of peace and health and safety. And it's a time to thank God. It's a time to stop and thank God. You know, it's a wonderful phrase that the Lord expresses how that is expressing how the Lord takes care of us. And it's a phrase, thy going out and thy coming in. And that's a phrase that's used in Psalm 121.8, Psalm 128. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Thank God for preserving us in our going out and our coming in. Now, in the next chapter, Jacob's going to face one of the most severe trials in his life in this city of Shechem here. And that gives us all the more meaning when we read that Jacob was in this state of Shalem and when he arrives in the city of Shechem, because it shows us how God prepared Jacob for the trial he was going to face. You know, Shalem expresses how God prepared Jacob for this trial in Shechem. He, he faced a great trial when he came to Peniel, when he wrestled with God, had his thigh put out of joint. How did God prepare Jacob before that all-night wrestling at Peniel when he got his thigh put out? How was the preparation? You remember? Beginning of chapter 32. Yeah. And then what happened in Genesis 32, 1 and 2? Genesis 32, 1 and 2. He saw the angels of God, the Mahanaim. That was the two camps. He saw the two. I have a camp. Angels of God got a camp over here too. That's the meaning behind the place. Mahanaim, two camps, you know. And so that was an encouragement to Jacob. He needed a great encouragement, and so he got it by seeing the angels. Sometimes we need a great encouragement. God's provided a great verse for us in Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That was spoken to the Jewish people in a time of great discouragement. They were in Babylonian captivity. And when he says, I am with thee, he was meaning I'm going through what you're going through in the Babylonian captivity. And he said, be not dismayed. He's saying, don't panic. 
be calm. He says, I am thy God. He's saying, my power is enough for you. I will uphold thee. I will enable you. I will uphold thee. And then he says, by the right hand of my righteousness. You know, the right hand, which hand do you raise in court when you're faithfully gonna tell the truth or in deposition? You raise your right hand, even if you're left-handed, you raise your right hand. Because the right hand is a hand of truth, the hand of faithfulness. It's just like God is raising his right hand when he says that. He says, I'm gonna be faithful, I swear to you, in your trials by being with you. I'm gonna be faithful to be your God in your trials. I'm gonna be faithful to strengthen you in your trials. I'm gonna be faithful to help you in your trials. I'm gonna be faithful to uphold you in your trials. Unfortunately, we've been doing a lot of depositions lately at work, and I always start off by raise your right hand. That's important. So Jacob comes to a city in Shechem, which is the same place as Sychar, or Sychem. This city here was not in existence when Abraham passed through it in Genesis 12, 6. Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Only the Canaanite was there. The people who are there now, they're not Canaanites, they're Hivites. It's a new people, Hivites. And they've moved into this land. They have a prince named Hamor. He's built a city, and he names it after his son, Shechem, and it's the capital of the Hivites. So this place is very close, by the way, to Mahanaim, where Jacob saw the angels, and of course, Peniel, where Jacob wrestles with God. Not very far from Bethel, where he saw the angel of God, but there's this new people there. They're called the Hivites. And in the next chapter, we're gonna see how this place became a terrible place of a horrific death. And what's interesting is that that place, which was a place of death, in John chapter four, becomes, by the Lord Jesus Christ, a place of life. When he brings eternal life to a woman at a well there in John 4, 3. He left Judea, he departed again to Galilee, must needs go through Samaria, comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, that's it. Near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, thus sat thus on the well, it was about six hour, cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink, and then you know the rest. That's the same place. So this is the place where Jacob is gonna have this great trouble in the land of Canaan. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Jacob's gonna have great trouble in the land of Canaan. You know, Jacob didn't have any trouble in Sukkot when he was not in the land that God called him to. But when Jacob came to the land God called him to, Jacob gets great trouble. You know, later on, Jacob's descendants, children of Israel, when they went into the land that God called them to, they had trouble. They had the giants' trouble. They encountered giants in the land. When they went back, the children of Israel, into the wilderness that God didn't call them to, there were no giants in the wilderness. There's a cost. There's a cost to us going where God calls us to. And the cost is external trouble. And if we go back, we retreat, go to a place where God's not calling us, then we'll have internal trouble, the soul, from not obeying God. Now, the end of verse 18, it's really called out for us, this place where he pitched his tent. He pitched his tent before the city. So he didn't go into the city. He stays outside the city because he knows that I'm not to become a part of these people here. Their lifestyle is not honoring to God. And there was sexual perversion throughout the whole land of Canaan. And so he keeps his distance outside the city. He knows his grandfather stayed outside the cities. Jacob knows what happened to his relative Lot, 
when he decided to live in the sexually perverted city of Sodom. So he stays outside the city. And in verse 19, it's interesting because it gives us details about the property that Jacob bought there. It says in verse 19, he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. Now, why is that important for us to know? Why is it important for us to know that Jacob bought this property and a lot of, in the detail, actually, you know, about it, where he puts his tent up? He didn't buy property, he doesn't say, he bought property back in Sukkot. So why did Jacob buy this property here? The fact that Jacob bought this piece of land where he puts his tent up, it shows us that, first of all, Jacob knew God called him to the land of Canaan, so he buys a property in the land of Canaan. See, Abraham, he only bought one piece of property. You remember what the property was? Yeah, the cave. That's right, the cave. And so in Machpelah, so it says in Genesis 23, again, more detail about the property he bought. Abraham hearkened unto Ephron, and Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant, and the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which is before Mamre, the field, the cave which was therein, and all the trees, it's like a title deed, that were in the field, that were in the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave field of Machpelah, and that's Hebron, and the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham. See, that was the only property that Abraham ever purchased. And Abraham, he didn't even live on it. He didn't live on it. He used it for a burying place. And this is the only property that Jacob buys in his life. And he does something very special there. He builds an altar there. And he builds this altar on the land that he purchases. See, Abraham didn't have anybody to disturb the bones of Sarah, his wife. So he buys a property. And so Jacob's first altar that he builds He doesn't want anybody disturbing that altar. He buys the property. And altars are really important. They're really important because they're the place where man meets God. That was the place where Jacob met God. The Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they all built altars where they lived. I've got an Indian friend, a Hindu Indian friend, who I've known for uh, close to 40 years, Gopal. And he lives in, in Houston. And he sold his company and got a lot of money. And so he built a big house on some lake there. And he's describing to me this very modest house that he built for just $30 million. Anyway, and he's telling me about his house, you know, with all the marble and everything. I haven't been there. My son's been there. And, he's, and he says to me, the most important room in my house is my God's room, he says. He says, the most important room. And I said, well, what's your God? He's got those Hindu gods in there. You know, we should look at our house and say, you know, the room where I meet with God in my house, that's the most important room in my house. And, you know, whenever I stay in a hotel room, I do the same thing every time. Take the key, open the door for the first time. Before I look as where I'm going to put my suitcase, which side of the bed I'm going to sleep on, where I'm going to set up my computer, first thing I do is I say, where am I going to meet with God? Where in this room am I going to meet with God? And that's what Jacob did when he came to this property in Canaan. He asked the question, where am I going to meet with God? Where, where am I going to build my altar? And God was happy with that. As a matter of fact, when God tells him now, move on to the next place, he says, Yo, go to the next place. In Genesis 35, God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest in the face of, of, of Esau, their brothers. 
So God says, yeah, go there, make an altar. I'll help you to worship, you know, and make this altar by remembering how you were running from your life, running for your life from Esau who wanted to kill you, and I saved you. Okay, make that altar. So, and then Jacob announces to his family, you know, the the words that, of course, they love to hear, we're going to move again. (laughs) He explains to them, you know, we're going to Bethel, and he says in Genesis 35, 3, let us arise, go up to Bethel, I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So when Jacob arrives in Bethel, Jacob builds the altar, and he gives that place where the altar is built, he he gives it a name to commemorate what happened when he was running from Esau in Genesis 35, 7. Genesis 35, 7. He built there an altar called the place El Bethel, the God of the house of God. And because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the faces of his brothers. So these altars, they're high spiritual marks in the life of Jacob. And the names that Jacob gives to these altars, these places, they mark out the high points in his spiritual progress in his life. And this name that Jacob is giving here to this altar in verse 20, it marks out the important point, a high point in Jacob's life. And he gives this altar, this name that has three parts to it, El, which is God, Elohe, which is the God of, and Israel, which is Jacob's new name. So the name of this altar is God, the God of Israel. And what he's saying here in this name is he's saying here, when I name this altar, I want everybody to know that the only one almighty God who made all creation with supreme authority, he's the almighty God, is El like El Shaddai, God the Almighty. So what Jacob's saying in this name is that that God that I wrestled with and who put my thigh out of joint and broke my self-will and gave me this new name of Israel, that's the Almighty God of the universe. And he gives it El Elohe Israel. So we know this doctrinally. We know this doctrinally because we learn doctrine and we know the Lord Jesus Christ is the great creator. But there comes a time when the truth of that fact just hits our soul. It just impacts us, and we go, we realize, not just with our head, but now we really realize the Jesus of Nazareth is the almighty God of the universe. You know, Jesus of Nazareth on the cross with his flesh on his back ripped open and the thorns pressed into his brow, and the nails driven into his hands, his feet, that's the great creator. That's the almighty God of the universe. And when that truth hits us, all we say is with Wesley, how can it be? How can that be? How could the the almighty God of the universe humble himself to that level? And Jacob has realized the one who's wrestled with him and gave him this new name Israel is the almighty God of the universe who humbled himself. And to mark that out and come to understand that, he calls the altar God, the God of Israel, the God of me, Jacob's saying. So Jacob is calling God his God and the God of his life. And that's what David came to call God in Psalm 42.8. Psalm 42.8. He says that the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. So this name, Jacob is saying God is the God of my life now. Comes a time, same thing happens to us when we, all of a sudden, God becomes the God of our life. In Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 3, 
For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. See, this is the first time that Jacob uses his new name. You know, good, God gave him, Israel. And it shows he's not ashamed of the name Israel. And all of this is new for Jacob. This is all new. This is why I say it's like marking points in his progress. You know, at Peniel, Jacob became spiritually crippled. He became physically crippled also. His thigh was put out of joint. But he became spiritually crippled when his self-will was put out of joint. It was broken. And so when we saw, when Jacob walked away from Peniel, he was crippled. He had a limp, and he was learning how to walk. Sometimes I get a back in my pain. I'm back in my pain. A pain in my back. Eddie, you know what that's like? You got to learn how to walk when you have a pain like that, you know? I'm learning how to walk, you know? Anyway, so Jacob learned how to walk with this limp, being crippled, you know? And what we see in the naming of this altar is Jacob learning how to walk spiritually after his self-will has been crippled. And this is learning how to walk after being crippled, and that's what we learn. We learn how to walk after our will is crippled, and it's really this learning how to walk is expressed. That's what Galatians 2.20 is expressing. It's learning how to walk after being crippled. See, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, our crippling was being crucified with Christ. And our learning how to walk after that crippling is learning how to walk by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us and then lives in us. And so Jacob now, living under this principle that the Almighty God is now as God, was Jacob learning how to walk. See, us living under the knowledge that we are dead with Christ but alive in Christ is us learning how to walk. And what happened to uh, Jacob here in his learning how to walk under the, under the protection of the Almighty God when he was around these group of, of people, the Hivites, who were, who were ungodly and a potential danger to him, and so he builds this altar, El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. And God said to Israel, the nation of Israel, I want you to never forget that. I want you to never forget this name. So when God then requires all the males of Israel to appear before him three times a year, which he did, he told them, you appear in Exodus 24, Exodus 34, 23. Exodus 34, 23. Thrice in the year, shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. God, the God of Israel. So that's what happened. So anyway, let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word and help us, Lord, to stay in your word in our hearts and our minds, not let the world distract us, draw us away, and teach us how, Lord, to walk again, after our self-will's been crippled, in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
www.friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.